Hello, and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Michelle Friedman, Chair of Pastoral Counseling at YCT Rabbinical School. And I'm Hody Nemus, a second-year rabbinical student also at YCT. And in each episode of this podcast, we explore psychological insights gleaned from the Torah reading of the week. And this week, we are in Parshat Korach. Today, we're going to talk about the dangers of charisma. Okay, the danger of charisma. There are so many real-life stories happening right now that have happened in the recent past, having to do with cults, having to do with influence, having to do with exploitation of all kinds. Usually the stories that hit the news are sexual exploitation. But our vignette, our fictional vignette of today, is going to have to do with a certain kind of spiritual and financial manipulation. So the story is about a man named Joe Strauss who claimed to be a rabbi and moved into town, that's a small city, with his family and set up a small synagogue. Joe is a very compelling speaker and a dynamic leader. Both he and his wife went way beyond typical rabbinic hospitality that the people were used to. They hosted meals several times a week. They thought nothing of having people sleeping over, of lending them things, of dispensing counseling and accompanying people to appointments and outings. All kinds of people flocked to the shul. Rabbi Strauss then set up an after-school program for teens, and soon after that he started weekend retreats and a summer program. After a year or so, Rabbi Strauss started advising congregants to put their money in a certain financial investment. Several months later, about a year and a half after the rabbi and his family came to town, that investment failed completely. And suddenly, Rabbi Strauss and his family left town. It became clear that many folks in town lost a tremendous amount of their money, retirement money, savings, in this scheme. Parshat Korach involves another kind of leader who gets into trouble, continues our theme in Bamidbar of the profound perils and challenges of leadership. Korach is a cousin of, uh, of Moshe, the leader of, of the people, and he seems to feel left out of the leadership structure. He wants, he wants a share in it, but he clothes his um, complaints in a sort of populist message. He tries to mutiny and says that all the people are holy, kulam kedoshim, v'lama tit nasu al Why should you lead the people, Moses and Aaron, why don't we have a more egalitarian leadership structure? Or as the, uh, the commentators theorize, he really, he wants leadership for himself. And what's interesting is that he's actually able to convince quite, quite a large number of people. Uh, Datan and Aviram, uh, who are of the tribe of Ruvain, another leader tribe, they stop obeying Moses. And, uh, and things come to a head with a sort of Hollywood-like showdown with fire pans and... Uh, incense and eventually the earth swallowing up the camp of Korach and his his cronies. Um, And the rest of the Parsha really deals with the aftermath of this immense uh, challenge. There's a plague, there's cleanup, there's using the fire pans for the altar, um, and and there's the beautiful image of Aaron's staff blossoming as a sign that Aaron will retain leadership. The verse that we want to focus on comes right at the climax of this uh, of this story, early on, says, Vayakumu lifnei Moshe v'anashim ibnei Yisrael chamishim u'matayim, nesiei eda kriei moed anshe shem. 
they rose up against Moses, this is uh, Korach, together with 250 Israelites, chieftains of the community, chosen in the assembly, men of repute. They combined against Moshe and Aharon and said to them, you have gone too far, for all the community are holy, all of them, and the Lord is in their midst. Why then do you raise yourselves above the Lord's congregation? Hmm. So Korach knows how to get right into a nerve center that probably all the people share. Why is one group special? Right. What a basic human sort of question. And, and uh, Korach, you're right. He Taps just... right into it. He's a charismatic leader who knows exactly what nerve to hit. Yes, he does. He also adds a bit of urgency. He doesn't say, let's think about it, let's talk it through. He says, no, why, why are you leading them now? It seems to me that uh, he also is able to really, he, he gets the, the elites on his side, he gets the people on his side. Later it says that he, he I think it says, ha'alu ha'am. He, uh, he gathered the nation against Moses and Aaron. You know, I think for a long time you might not see that an effective, charismatic leader who becomes out of control is out of control because there are certainly charismatic leaders who do very good things and they probably share a lot of their early parts of their career with the bad ones. What I mean to say is charismatic leader is talented at appealing to different constituencies within the community. A charismatic leader figures out what the basic needs of the community are. So for example, you can see in like populist terrorist group, the leaders are very adept at finding social needs to take care of, giving people basic shelter, basic food, education, things like that. So figuring out, you know, what does a community need? Now those are not warning signs, but when you see kind of a movement developing, like a new stirring, it's something certainly to pay attention to, and somebody might even get really caught up in it. It sounds like, wow, this is hopeful, this is positive. The warning signs thing come when there's a kind of, you see a flow of energy, a kind of pointing of effort towards the power, the building up, the grandiosity, the specialness of the leader and the leader's little clan, whether it's the family group, which it often is, or some other power base. Interesting. And that, that actually makes me wonder, Michelle, about whether Korach might have said, Moses is a charismatic leader. He has a bit of a cult of personality. All the people around him are important. Right. They have big roles, Miriam and Aaron. And, uh, you know, he, perhaps he's on a, on a sort of out-of-control path that could lead us all to ruin. Okay, yeah. but it's interesting in terms of the question whether or not Moses himself is a charismatic leader. Certainly he's a charismatic leader. He is able to rally the people and to get them moving uh, in ways that nobody, and to keep them going even though he has times of despair himself. But an aspect of Moses, his humility and his greatness is that he isn't particularly scared of other kinds of leadership or other voices. For example, two weeks ago in Bahaloscha, when the two guys, Eldad and Medad, start prophesizing, and people say, Moses, look what's up. I mean, are you going to let this happen? And he says, yeah, it's okay. You know, other people want to express opinions. He, this is, that, that is not an a time when destruction is wrought upon people who are ex expressing other opinion. That's right. But the Korach Rebellion is. And similarly, in our vignette, 
we have somebody who comes into town and seems to provide essential services and more than essential services, really taps into people's need for companionship, for caring for different ages, teens, elders, whatever, and then starts saying, hey, you know, I have a really great investment. And the whole thing seems to turn out and is a giant scam. Right. Charisma in and of itself, is it bad? Is it a negative? That's a great question. And does charisma corrupt? Is, is being, does being a charismatic person somehow... Necessarily make you right, go right. down a bad path? You know, I think charisma is a powerful, like, id primordial force. And if you're lucky enough to be gifted with it, you also have the responsibility to care for it, to watch out. And I think people that are charismatic have a responsibility and they kind of know it. They know that they're really great at working a crowd. They know that they're good at the one-on-one, -on -one, whatever their talent happens to be. And I think that they have a responsibility to watch the level of their influence. And I think the most important thing is for them to get feedback from other people whether it's peer supervision, whether it's uh, mentorship, whether it's psychological guidance, whether it's having trusted people out there who the rabbi or the teacher or whoever says, hey, you're my guys, tell me how I'm coming across, be honest with me. Interesting. And the leader can set that, you're saying the leader can really request that. Of yeah, the I think the, the leader has her, to have a cabinet. Yeah. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago when you were talking about admiring Lincoln and his team yeah. of rivals, not being scared of getting critical feedback that will help you be a better leader. So how do you draw appropriate boundaries? And how do you know if you're watching a teacher or a leader that uh, there may be crossing into the realm of inappropriate, into the realm of, of danger. That comes up a lot in, in educational settings. Mm -hmm. Teachers are often looked to as mentors. They often have charisma. Certainly in, in Jewish context, in, uh, in gap year programs in Israel, in Jewish camps, some of the power of those experiences is the rabbis and teachers who lead them. I'm thinking of an example of a, uh, a teacher in a gap year program in Israel who was known as very charismatic, and at 11 p.m. he's texting them on a group chat saying, hey, who has cake? Come visit me in my office. Let's hang out. Now, is that appropriate? See, that's a really good question because you could say, well, 11 p.m. is kind of late. Um, but maybe in a gap year program, and let's say he and his family, I'm assuming this man had a family, lived in the school or right near the school. You know, it might not be because in a student type of situation where kids are used to hanging out late at night, 11 p.m. might not be too late, whether or not there was somebody else there, like the guy's wife or another adult that wasn't part of the student community would be important. I but see. I can't say, it might be like we would say a bit of a boundary crossing because student programs don't generally start at 11, but I wouldn't say right off the bat that it's a violation. Interesting. Okay. So it might be crossing a boundary. And mm -hmm. how do we know the difference? I think the best basic question to ask, and here I credit Glenn Gabbard and, Gut, and I credit Gabbard and Guthill for this um, rubric on boundary crossings and violations. And the question to ask is, do I need to keep this a secret? And if you feel that something, uh-oh, I don't want anybody to know about this, this has got to be a secret, 
you're in the violation zone. So right, if this guy is like, cool, hey, you know, we get together for cake and schmoozing at 11, and it's known, okay, that's a crossing, it's unusual, but in a student setting where kids are up late at night and you've been learning and there's kind of a heated atmosphere, it may be unusual. But if he says, listen, this is just between us, then we're in the violation. Don't tell the administration. Don't tell anybody, right. That's Don't tell problem. the other girls. Don't tell the mm -hmm. administration. Mm -hmm. This is just our little thing. Transparency. Yeah. And of course, what would also counts is what goes on after 11. I mean, I'm, I'm not even assuming I mean, if there's some kind of physical contact, sexual exploitation, that of course is in the violation category. But a lot of times what can go on is a sort of influence, exertion, and a kind of psychological manipulation. So Rabbi Strauss did some things that perhaps we would say were unusually uh, intense for a rabbi, but could have been, could be positive. Yes. Right? And we don't even know that he came into town planning to set up a um, Ponzi scheme or some kind of extortion thing. It may be that he got involved in it and it's sort of one thing led to the next and he it got completely out of hand. But clearly it crossed the boundary into an exploitation zone. I see. But we want to make clear that setting up an after-school program for teens, being there for his congregation, giving advice, isn't necessarily a problem at all. In fact, it could be real positive. That's right. Those could be really wonderful things. I've seen that sometimes when you see a charismatic figure, a rabbi, a teacher, a political leader, you know, one can get sort of suspicious, like this is too good to be true. Is this for real? And I don't think it's wrong to look a little warily at such individuals, but I would not want to encourage people to go in thinking that these are con artists on the move. <laughs> <laughs> Heavens no.